Welcome to episode number 137 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on November the 14th, 2021. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I noticed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get uh, better prepared for 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm really flaky about showing up, and I've decided not to be here tonight. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> no, I'm actually Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. Who's this Ian guy you talk about? He would be know, the some, uh, some island legend. unicorn, would he not? <laughs> the island unicorn. CGN, CGN. <laughs> oh, we're off to a great start. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Brad. I'm in eastern Ontario. I've been in preparedness in some way since the ice storm of 98, constantly trying to better myself as a part-time amateur prepper. And hello, everyone. I'm Darius, located in south-central Alberta. I've been prepping now for a little over 10 years. I'm a local mag leader, and I'm always trying to gain at least a conversation level of knowledge in every topic I come across. It's about damn right. time we've got you on, too. Yeah. Right. And no more chirping in the live chat. They can <laughs> chirp us face to face. Exactly. <laughs> All right. If you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper podcast on the air, you can buy some swag. We've got the Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt and a tactical Velcro patch. You can purchase that at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, all the proceeds help keep lights on and the backup generator fueled. Anybody that doesn't have a tactical Velcro patch is a communist. <laughs> if you are enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook, submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad, or even just a topic you want to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, fundamental content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with preparedness-related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic, uh, the basic eight steps of preparedness. So uh, let's get into the news. So there's been some floods and some mudslides in uh, the BC interior, which is close some highways. So whether that results in you being isolated or being forced to evacuate, um, that's not a good situation for anybody. So our, uh, our best wishes to everybody that's affected and uh, really hope that this is, um, this is a confirmation that your preparations are going well, rather than a wake up that you probably should have done this before. Oh, That's right. Um, also, um, weather outside is frightful. Hope you've got nowhere to go. Um, another article, um, <laughs> the area around London uh, is getting upwards of uh, 10 centimeters, four inches of snow. Uh, hopefully that's real inches, not internet inches. And it's, uh, it's a good kickoff to, uh, to the winter season. Oh, yeah. Uh, I happen to have an article here, too, that is... Uh, talking about winter and uh drivers reminding it to take it easy as the first winter snowstorm arrives i don't know if i'd really call it a snowstorm yet but we had a few flakes so of course naturally the magnets in the ditches turned on to pull all the cars into the ditches so i hate you know, those just, magnets. Uh, whoever put those in those, yeah. it's a real jerk yeah, but, yeah though, that can be funny at times i guess but yeah kind of sucks those if your car are the ends days up in the ditch. i do not miss <laughs> fair enough but yeah, just a reminder, the snow is uh, pretty much here, if you haven't noticed. So if you haven't switched your uh, your gear over, uh, time to do it. 
And I've got a couple of uh, quick uh, things here. So I think everybody kind of knew this was coming with um, everything that's been going on with things at hospitals and letting staff go or suspending staff or whatever. But now, of course, now the hospitals are starting to send out the, uh, the warning signals and uh, talking about uh, wait times at hospitals and how they're, they're rising and they're going to just continue to get busier. Uh, it's an article from Global News and they're talking about, uh, they made specific uh, mention of Kingston Hospital. Uh, funny enough, Kingston was one of the first ones to start uh, kicking their employees out the door, but they claim there is no correlation between that. Take that for what you want. Um, my other article comes from CBC. Don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. I know uh, that the experts and again, leave it at that as well, because we all know what experts are, uh, that they're telling people, especially in Alberta, Darius, that um, you should be locking in your energy prices because they're about to take a big spike. I don't think that's Alberta. I think that's going to be everywhere. Um yeah, I, we, I, I guess there's good and bad to the to the locking in the price. If the price goes up, you're good. But it seems more times that happens, people end up getting burned in the end. So I it's kind of like when the LCBO is, threatens to go on strike and they sell two billion dollars worth of alcohol in a weekend, and then they have a last minute um, resolution and the strike doesn't happen. Yeah, well, it's still made their money. Seems yeah. seems kind of like the kind of like the same thing there. It's funny that they say this now. We actually noticed it starting last year, um, January, February. Uh, we actually hit a really bad cold snap, and then everybody's prices shot up then. Um, for about a week straight, it hit probably minus 34, minus 35. And then after that, everybody was receiving four or $500 bills for gas and electricity because of the heating draw, and then it just never went quite far as down as it was previously after that so yeah we just locked in our prices because it was getting ridiculous how much the draw was and we were quoted as being underneath what most people use for our size house it's amazing how that works isn't it yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see darius you know come come next year whether whether locking it in helped you out a lot or ended up costing you a bit more or what it I mean, it, there seems to be different different opinions on both sides of it. So, with how volatile everything with it seems right now, I I expect it to at least help a little bit in the long run. Yeah, and hopefully it does. Mean, ha ha yeah, half the time your bill your bill isn't the actual gas or electricity you use; it's all of the other fees, like your delivery charge and all that other yeah. stuff that usually makes up like 60% of your bill anyway. So, yep. <laughs> all right. So moving to what we've done lately for preps. <laughs> uh, I have done absolutely nothing for preps. I have done work, work and more. You guessed it work. It is now the really, really busy season in my industry of logistics and whatnot around the area I live in. So it's just go, go, go. I've, uh, last week I did three 11 hour days, a 10 hour day and a nine hour day. It's a lot of hours. Yeah. Too. What's that? <laughs> I remember my first part-time job too. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Oh, here we go. 
There we go. Oh. <laughs> I was. Uh, I, was I, uh, I saw that there was actually uh, UPS was like putting out Kijiji ads, and they're hiring people yeah. to just go move people through in malls. And I actually, I actually wow. witnessed it. They're like four or five guys wandering on the mall wearing these UPS vests and like nothing else that's even kind of uniform, just moving packages off of a, like a 53 foot trailer. It's uh, it's brutal. Yep, I will agree with that. We do uh, we do lots of work for uh, Pure Later, and they've had uh, they usually have one, maybe two. 53s come in for Pure Later to our offices, and then we distribute them. And in the last two weeks, they've had uh, dispatch said at one point there was four in the in the yard in one day. Wow, 53 footers just trying to, and and they, they said it's only going to get worse. Nope, they're hiring anybody to deliver packages. But yeah. we keep buying stuff on Amazon. Yep, that we do. Which seems odd because they're all complaining about the uh, supply chain breakdown and all the ships that are sitting there and they can't get them unloaded and there's no drivers and there's no trailers and now you're saying they're they're coming like crazy and you can't keep up. Yep. Yeah. Almost as if we're being misled by the media. No. That would Come never on. happen. happen. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I've ever accused of that out loud before, but... <laughs> Is that your inside voice again? Oh boy! I don't know who is inside voice. Who is this guy, and why is he on the podcast? <laughs> hey, Jeff. Well, I I didn't do a lot. I spent a couple of days of training for my uh, new upcoming. Well, not new, just my upcoming winter job. Uh, and I started some firewood prep already for next year. My uh, the person I got some wood from was gracious to drop it off. I'm not going to turn it away. It's free. Never know when you're going to need it. So. That's nice. about all I've done. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for myself, uh, met up with a listener and uh, played radio for a bit. So he had acquired a new uh, multi-band uh, HF, uh, VHF, UHF radio and wanted to test it out on HF. And I happen to have an HF antenna. So uh, we played around with that for a little while to make sure that uh, it was working okay. And then uh, got uh, Winlink set up after I got my HF rig back. I had sent it off to the shop just for a good once-overs had it for a while and have no real history so i want to make sure everything that i can't check was working okay and it came back with a clean bill of health uh so i played around with winlink and uh, i'm able to send emails over uh, hf now which is i realize completely nerdy but hey i did it it was fun it works and it's nice backup for some communications if need be i actually really want to get your uh, uh dive deep into your that. antenna radio figured out my antenna radio well no the the antenna the radio when I was over there, the one that um, your SWR is way out of whack. Oh yeah, no, that uh, that's still uh, causing me issues. Yeah, I got out and uh, did some parks on the air as well um, this past week, and yeah, the SWR, my mobile antenna, is going all over the map, and I got to figure something out. I got something set up wrong, so that's half the fun. Speaking of the radios, <laughs> yep, <laughs> somebody's repeater just identified. It sure uh, did. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll try I'll try and take on Ian's levels uh, for this week. Um, heavy on jujitsu training the last few weeks, which has been a whole ton of fun. Um, sore, battered, bruised, a little bit bloodied. Couldn't be happier. Um, feel a little less a little bit less like a sea lion attempting to mount coastal rocks, and more like somebody who's moving with purpose. Um, I ordered and received a nice big spool of paracord because 
they can, and I, so I did. Um, yesterday we did an exercise with the search and rescue team, uh, which was a whole ton of fun. Uh, get out in the woods and shake out the kit, make sure that everything works the way it's supposed to. And what else did I do? Gave my little buddy heater a tune-up, uh, which then led to a discovery that my propane tank that I had attached to it had a leaky valve, so I went to disassemble it, and it started leaking. Uh, kept hissing at me, so I um, have one less little green tank. Uh, actually got to meet up with our former panelist, Scott, for a few minutes. And um, at some point, which may or may not be related to that, I finally got rid of a wood stove in my backyard that was of no good to me. So um, thank you to the person who took that away on my behalf. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I wonder, have, I wonder who uh, that was. I, I I have no uh, I, I have I have no comment to the press at this time. Uh, fingers <laughs> fingers crossed. I'll have to power throw under the bus to my shop by the end of next week, uh, and I'll be able to actually start uh, start finishing. So that's my uh, um, that's my update for the for the week. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been in, and um, just because somebody needs to say it, a bunch of CGN deals. <laughs> Oh, jeez. No matter how how much we make fun of Ian, he still decides to not show up. Oh, of course. We'll just make fun of him more and more. <laughs> All right, let's move into the main topic, shall we? So we've got oh, right, Ian's Darius not here. here. He's not here. <laughs> That's weird. I, I, I didn't realize Ian wasn't here. Did anybody it, else realize Ian wasn't here? It's brand new information to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian who? <laughs> so... Darius, for for those of us for for those who who especially take part in the in the live chat every time we're every week that we're on, Darius has been uh, with us maybe not from the exact beginning but for a long time. And we really appreciate you finally coming on. Um, we got talking about this in the uh, in the Discord group. Uh, link is in the show notes, by the way, to to join up join us up, join up with us there. Um, but Darius breaks down uh, our basic preparedness into eight sections. So Darius. Welcome. Tell us about that, and what, uh, where, where did this come from? Where did you, where did you find this, uh, um, the, these eight segments? How did this come about? Okay, so I'll start it off by answering that question. Um, like most decent survival information, I'm not the one who came up with the whole concept of the basic eight survival model. It was actually aired in 2019 off of another podcast that I was listening to. Um, he did a, about an eight-minute podcast. Are you cheating on us with other podcasts? Not anymore. He stopped the show. Okay. So I'm going to bring oh. this episode to an end. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he did about an eight to ten minute episode on just what each of the concepts was and being the person who I am as far as you know prepping and survival I determined that that was nowhere near enough content for me and I took all of the titles and concepts and started researching it all myself so that I could pass it out to all of my mag members and they could start at least having a concept of what they needed to do within preparedness to get themselves ready. And so what are the eight basics? So the eight starting off, because um, everybody's familiar with, you know, whenever you hear the basics of survival, you go food, shelter, water. And, you know, some of us will add in security on top of that. 
that only covers a very, very small footprint in survival. Um, the problem with that becomes um, the psychology of it when you start looking into um, actually being in a survival situation, a mantra such as food, shelter, water is the order that you're going to start your preparedness um, in getting ready with that survival situation. But if you're looking at food first, when you're trying to survive, you can technically survive for three plus weeks without food. And there are criteria that you need to meet well before you're in dire straits of starvation. So the way that the basic eight survival method works is you break it down in what is most likely to kill you the fastest, if not done correctly. And then you go down the list towards what is just convenience. So the basic eight are body temperature, water, rest, food, health, security and mobility, contact, and information. So starting that off, body temperature is the one that can kill you the fastest in a survival situation. That being, if you go to your rules of three, you know, you can survive three days without water, three weeks without food, but if your body temperature raises or falls too quickly, you could die within three minutes. So 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius roughly is what the average adult human body needs to maintain to survive within about a degree of either of those two numbers. Anything more than about three degrees in either direction in your body goes into a medical shutdown just too many complications um, and you start to shut down all of your vital organs and that will kill you faster than anything else if you're in an immediate danger. Luckily for us, it is one of the easier things to control as long as you can prepare ahead of time. So the temperature you can further break down into a couple of different categories, weather and environmental conditions, fire building and shelter building, and then clothing with the only one that we have no control over would be the weather and environmental conditions. Instead, in order for us to prepare for it, we need to look ahead for our given areas and determine what is the best method of controlling the temperatures that we're likely to expect on both extremes? I know up in Canada here, our weather can get, especially in the winter and especially with the snow falling, really low, really fast. Whereas our summers, depending on where you are, can get dangerously hot even overnight when the sun's gone down. So those are all things that we we establish for our particular area and then we can determine what kind of shelters we need what kind of clothing we need 
to mitigate the effects of weather in those areas. So the next thing for um, going down for body temperature would be fire building. It's the most surefire way, especially for cold weather, to warm yourself up in a hurry. And that comes down to practicing ahead of time, making sure that you have a kit built so that you can light a fire if need be, or so you can um, learn the methods ahead of time for building fires out of, you know, objects that we've talked about on here previously, flint and steel, how to make a fire bow, how to do a fire plow if nobody's ever done that. Right, all these different methods and practice. And where, where in that list is your carbon monoxide detector? 20 minutes, 52 seconds. Sorry, it's the only place I could think I'll of to, to put it in. <laughs> that would be at home where you don't have to worry so much about the survival scenarios. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> and you bring up a good point. And I, I know we've hammered this home for 137 episodes now, or you know what? Yeah, about that. Um, yeah, test your gear. Know how to use it. The fire starting thing. Yeah, don't assume you're just going to be able to light a fire in the in the middle of a, a, a bad event or something. You know what they say about people who assume. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They're commies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's communate. Okay. In the <laughs> in the worst time to ever learn what you're doing is yep. when there's two feet of snow on the ground and everything around you is covered in a couple inches of ice. Yep. Because then even if with all the experience in the world, that's a bad day. Okay, so going down after fire building, the best way to control your body temperature would be to find a shelter or build a shelter for that matter. Whichever the situation um, requires or whichever is the best option for you, given your individual scenario learning how to build individual shelters or how to say get through locks to get into a shed or something if need be to get yourself out of elements will help to control your body temperature and then finally clothing is one of the least um looked up and researched parts about keeping your body temperature going and the differences in the types of materials for clothing and the differences in the layers that you have can mean the difference in life and death. So and individual, so, go ahead. So I want to expand on that real quick. Cause I was out yesterday in three degree weather and we were planning on being active Right, so we were layer, we were laying our pro, layering appropriately for it, and the way that we set ourselves up was that if we were standing still, we'd be kind of chilly, but when we got moving through the bush, we were pleasantly warm but not sweating, and that was the that balance is hugely important when it comes to planning your work, because the especially in the cold, you sweat, you die. Exactly right. So there's a couple different ways that people will look at layering clothing. The military actually runs a seven layer system 
for the different layers of clothing in each individual type. And it all comes down to the materials of the clothing that you're wearing and then where you want that type of material in relation to the layers that you have on your body. So the levels that the military goes by, level one is generally just um, moisture wicking underwear and t-shirt. The bare basics, that is the level that is closest to your skin. You want that to take any moisture from your sweat, move it away from your skin. Level two would be long johns and a long sleeve shirt. Now the purpose of your level two is to take the moisture that is wicked away from your body by your base layer and move it away from the base layer to trap it. Um, generally the level two gear will dry out a lot faster just by radiating body heat. This will help you to keep warm and it'll help you to feel dry while you're moving. Level three is usually just a lightweight fleece. All it is is to insulate the heat. Level four, they generally do either a puffy air jacket, like an air-filled um, jacket, something that has a lot of layers or quilting material works really well for that. And that is just to create another air pocket over top of your fleece. Level five, they'll just do a light shop, soft shell pants and top. Usually this will also be a windbreaker or um, plastic material if you're in an area that has a lot of moisture outside as well. Um, if you're hiking in the woods or if you're camping or hunting, generally the level five will be where you want to stop at. Um, and that'll be um, usually just like a rain gear, super lightweight, but just to trap or stop moisture from coming inside um, from your environment. The trick with getting the soft shell pants and bottom is you want stuff that um, fits securely on the top, but on the bottom seams is loose and will also allow the moisture that's being wicked away from your body to evaporate. Going down to level six is if you're in more extreme conditions, that's where you'll find your military Gore-Tex top and bottom. And those are usually multi-layer, um, super thick and heavy, um, extra protective. And those go on top of everything else if you get to that point. Anything more than that, and you're talking um, Arctic or conditions where you're looking at a full parka and snow pants on top. And that's usually where you come to your heavy downs and stuff like your uh, Canada goose gear and whatnot. Um, those all come down to the materials that they're made out of. So when you're looking at your base layer, um, generally it's made out of either wool, silk, or some of the newer market synthetic materials. Wool is a combination of moisture wicking and water or water repellent. But the issue with it is that it's much more expensive. And a lot of people have issues with how wool feels directly against their skin. 
I find it with with wool once it gets wet, whether it's um, outside or inside influence, it is. It sounds like cotton balls being broken apart. Yeah, if you're walking, if you're walking on that, I I understand why people have an issue with that. Yeah, exactly. The nice thing about wool is that, um, de especially depending on the type of wool, a good quality merino wool will keep you warmer even when it is wet. Well, it retains but, something like 80, 80 or eighty-five percent of its uh, insulation value when it's wet, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, next would be the silk. The issue with this is that it feels more comfortable, but it's usually super expensive and it doesn't trap heat as well. It does wick moisture a lot better though. But silk will break down a lot faster. It's a lot weaker material. Um, that's one of the reasons why you can get stuff like a silk sleeping bag liner. Easier to wash than an entire sleeping bag will trap heat and it's moisture wicking. Next is where you go into your synthetic materials, which most people are familiar with. Um, polyester, polyethylene, and a lot of the microfiber-based fabrics. They're inexpensive, easy to maintain. Um, most of them are just, you know, machine wash whenever, hang to dry. The issue with the synthetic base layers is that they don't trap as much heat usually. And they trap smells a lot more. And that's where a lot of people run into issues with them. Anybody who's done sports with like the uh, um, polyester base layers in that will definitely know the smell of that. Oh yeah, my son gets in the car after hockey after a hockey game. <laughs> oh boy, that's, uh, that's open all the windows and ventilate well. Yeah, exactly. So once you're done with your base layer, you need to go up one more step, and that would be your, um, in the case of the military, they're level two systems, but um, it's your insulating layers. The purpose of that would be to take the moisture away from your base layer and to start trapping your body heat, and that will allow both layers to properly dry. Um, generally, your insulating layer is either made with wool, fleece, down or um, some of the newer ones, it's your synthetic fiber fills, um, such as the uh, polyester batting um, and fiber. The, with the insulation layer, a lot of that comes down to what you're most comfortable wearing um, and the thickness that you're looking for. The whole point behind it is just to increase um, the heat on your body, the layers above and below it um, will deal a lot more with the moisture wicking. So generally just a light fleece sweater or a light wool sweater, um, not super heavy, will address what you need for the insulating layer. Now, when So you may be going to touch on this, Darius, but where would Gore-Tex fit in on that? Would that be a level two? Um, Gore-Tex is usually not a level two, actually. Um, the Gore-Tex um, is much further down. That's what the next step is. It's called the shell layer. So the Gore-Tex um, is your outer layer that cre or creates the protection from the elements. Um, so your outer shell. Um, 
generally those are designed to wick moisture from the inside and to prevent moisture from passing through the membrane from the outside. Um, and that's where you get your different levels of water repellent, your different levels of breathability, zippers on the sides and stuff like that. So that'll be your outer shell layer. They're also the more durable so that it will not only protect you from elements, but protect you from um, hazards such as trees, rocks. You don't want to rip all your clothing apart. So you get these more durable outer shell layers. And then you get your waterproofing and whatnot to go over top of that. If you need more, say, like the um, thin rain shells just strictly for water prevention or um, ponchos and such. So once you get all of the clothing taken care of, the one thing that you need to be aware of, and it is one of the cheapest things on the market to get, but one of the most dangerous is all of the different clothing materials that are either entirely or partially cotton. They're all over the place, and it is one of the biggest hazards of choosing clothing for being out in the woods or hunting or survival situations. Cotton, while it feels nice against the skin, in most cases, will not wick water properly. It traps it instead. Um, and then it requires more heat and energy to dry out. So if you're stuck in a survival situation, that cotton will just build up on the clothing and press it against your skin, leaching your heat out. You generally only want to have mostly cotton clothing if you're in very, very hot climates where you want the extra moisture against your skin to help prevent you from dehydrating. We always have a rule that cotton is rotten, um, especially with socks. Um, yes. It'll, it'll, it'll rot your skin right off you. Uh, that was one of the major causes of trench foot during the wars. Yeah, exactly. So once the body temperature is taken care of um, through all of these methods, we go into the next most important on your list. And that one's the one that'll kill you in three days without, and that's water. Now, for example here, um, I have this one written down because I thought it was a really good kind of scenario. And it's sometimes you can be subtle and you don't even realize it. You're walking down the street in the summer sun, enjoying the nice cold breeze on your face. You glance over to read the sign ahead to tell you how much further you have to go. Then you look at a house, you look back at the sign and realize you didn't actually read it before. I know what's happened to all of us a bunch of times. And then you read back at the sign again so that you understand what it said. You focus on it, understand what it's actually telling you and figure out where you have to go. You know, after concentrating for a bit, you decipher it, go on your way. Not noticing that the confusion you are feeling when you're trying to read that the first time is generally the starting signs of dehydration. It's that low level lack or reduction in cognitive ability. And it's so subtle that 90% of the people it's happening to never realize it's happening. 
Now, the average adult human body is made up of about 60% water. To put it into perspective, a 200-pound adult male, roughly 120 pounds worth of water. In low activity levels, it, the person will sweat about one liter per hour. Now, if we convert it all over into even units, um, one liter of water is one kilogram or 2.2 pounds. So 120 pounds of water in a 200 pound male, it'll about two and a half pounds an hour. You're looking 54 and a half hours worth of water total in the entire human body. And that's if you had nothing but straight drain. And that's at, at next at, no activity. Yeah, I was just saying that that doesn't that doesn't account for sweating. That doesn't account for talking or working or digesting or um, that anything yeah, else. That uh, that level, the fifty four and a half hours, is just sitting and doing nothing until you dehydrate to death. Now, if you were to change that to um, a higher level of activity where you're sweating an average of three plus liters per hour, do the same math out and you're working at 18 hours before you completely dehydrate unless you are doing stuff to replenish your fluids. Now, um, these numbers and times reflect just sweating with no water intake at all. Um, add in the difference for using washrooms if you are injured and you're bleeding or any other bodily functions, and that number goes down even more drastically. So most people, uh, myself included, are walking around almost perpetually in a state of partial dehydration. I just cannot drink enough water in the day to help me stay fully hydrated and that's something that I've been working on. It's not practical or feasible for most people in a survival situation to carry around enough water to replace what they are using consistently um, to the required levels that they need to. How many life that being said carry? Oh, that's Life a good job. Just one. <laughs> um, one life straw, and then in my hunting gear, I have one and a couple of the other different styles of filters and purification tabs. I'll just throw Sawyer out there for Ian, just because. <laughs> I was just digging on Ian because <laughs> he hates life straws with an absolute passion. <laughs> Maybe we'll send so him a the couple. Sawyer minis, the other one that I carry. <laughs> I just I don't use the life straw I prefer the Sawyer Mini as I'm going but the life straw I have as a backup because it's a convenient one to just throw in the bottom of a bag and forget about yep. until you need it um, so yeah it's that actually leads directly into um, where that was going with that is part of that preparedness is to learn how to purify water not just through like handheld filters or um, boiling water ahead of time, but all the different ways that you can set up filters in an emergency. Um, 
um, one of the things that you can do, and a lot of people don't realize it also, is if you have a fire going, build yourself a charcoal silt strainer for water. It In an emergency, if you don't have the ability to fully filter everything, it will be better than nothing at all. Once you have water taken care of, the third one is rest, not actually food yet. So when you come down to rest, um, it's a lot more subtle than people realize. Not enough rest will be the biggest cause of death in most survival situations. This is a direct result in the cognitive decline of not getting enough sleep. So rather than, you know, dehydrating, what you're going to find is the issue is that you'll just start making small, stupid mistakes. And it's those mistakes that will be the most dangerous to you. Poor decision making ultimately leading to a higher risk of injury or death. Now, the Walter Reed Military Medical Research Center actually conducted a study over a 20-day period on the combat effectiveness of artillery personnel in the U.S. military. And this was with varying levels of sleep per night. What the study found was that troops who received over seven hours of sleep a night were able to perform with near 100% efficiency. When that number changed to exactly seven hours of sleep a night, their efficiency dropped to only 82%. At six hours, this was 64% effectiveness. And at five hours, it went down to nearly 29%. That's just five hours of sleep a night in troops who were combat conditioned. What this oh, tells us is that, it, yeah, it's in. It's ridiculous at how people who are used to that level of sleep don't even notice or realize what's going on. Yeah, then you add that in with dehydration, and you got a huge mess. Exactly, and it just it dominoes so fast that people don't realize what's going on. Um, you start to feel the effects of physical fatigue. Um, so, with this study, what they did find was that by the time people start to feel the effects of physical fatigue, they're already past the point where mental fatigue was hampering their ability to make proper decisions. And that would be the key factor because most of us don't realize until, you know, we're physically tired that there's an issue going on. By that point, we could have been hours worth of the cognitive abilities having drastically declined. Now, it also accounts for mental fatigue, and that's why in most um, bag loadouts and stuff like that, everybody will tell you, grab a deck of cards. Grab something to help you relax. You cannot stay keyed on and focused, perpetually surrounded by everything that's going on nonstop. If you don't relax you will actually suffer similar effects to as if you're not sleeping. 
And a lot of people don't realize that level of it. Finally, once those three main topics are covered is when we get down to our actual food. And while not as subtle as dehydration nor as quick, um, the hunger can play tricks on the mind um, just due to calorie loss. Average human body requires approximately 2,000 calories while not doing anything and upwards of 4,000 calories while active every day. This leads us into if you are not receiving the level of calories required for you to function properly, you'll start noticing the stages of uh, starvation. Three separate stages of starvation. Phase one um, is when the sugar levels in your blood start to plummet. And the body will start to just work through everything that you currently have in your stomach and in your blood, draining all the nutrient and energy from it. That's when we start getting hangry. Mars Corporation got it right. You're not yourself when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, once that process is done, and that can go on for a little bit, um, you start hitting phase two of starvation. Phase two... Um, which might actually last for several weeks, it's where your body starts processing individual fats into energy instead. Um, your liver metabolizes fatty acids into ketone bodies, which are then transferred directly into energy for your body. After approximately a week of fasting, a person's brain will actually start to use ketone bodies as well as glucose for sources of energy. Um, proteins not essential for survival are used by your body first. Um, and this is just to help to reserve all the energy that your body can. This is where you start to see your severe mental states, depression, anxiety, irritability, mood swings, um, really bad negative emotional reactions, no enthusiasm or motivation to do anything. And this is where you start to see that uh, real bad danger level. And again, this can spread over three weeks or more. Uh, you will also um, start receiving, seeing physical signs of stuff like this happening. Besides the lack of energy, shrinking muscles, um, your body temperature will start to fluctuate significantly. Um, and your heart and lungs will actually start to shrink. While that's not noticeable from the outside, um, it becomes um, even more hard on your body as a result of that. Finally, when you hit phase three of starvation, um, that's when your person, that's when the body's fat reserves are completely depleted. Um, you switch to proteins as a major source of a person's energy, which muscles is the biggest source of protein. So that's when your body will start dissolving your muscles to have enough energy to keep your heart and lungs and brain going. Once you hit that point, it is super hard to get back from it, generally requiring extensive long-term medical care. So 
determining what's going on with your food levels, with your calorie intakes, and not letting it get to that level of starvation in the first place is the whole point of preparing for it ahead of time with this. And then just knowing the signs of what to look for um, as far as hitting stage two of the phases of starvation, encountering it at that point. Once we're done with food, um, um, so just quickly recapping with that, um, that is where you need to start learning your hunting, fishing, trapping techniques, and just paying attention to what the calorie intake in all of the food you're taking with you are and whether they are good for the level of activity that you're doing. Once you're done that, the next section is health. Health, we've covered a lot here, especially with Bones and Amy. Um, it is all about your medical abilities, your level of training, and whether you have the materials required to meet that level of training. And that's for you as well as your group, which was covered um, just a little while ago by everyone here. So I won't go too much further into that one because that's covered frequently. Security and mobility is the sixth level of basic preparedness. This comes down to, are you safe in the situation that you're currently in? Are you aware of what is going on? And if not, are you able to leave the situation? With the security can also be broken down into short-term versus long-term. If you're in a short-term scenario like a hunting accident, security can be covered based off of say, are you safe from potential animal attacks? Have you moved food away from your camp? If you're in you know, a longer scenario, such as something like a Red Dawn, or any of the more drastic scenarios that people can come up with, then it could be, are you living out of a camp, and do you have patrols around your camp that you've set up? Do you have networks around you to let you know if something's going on? And how alert are the people who are keeping monitoring? Will they notice the slight changes going on around them? There's actually, with this, a layer system called concentric rings. It is, a lot of it's based off of old... Um, native trainings and such. And what it is, is noticing what's going on um, in the wilderness and in the areas around you that you cannot see or hear based off of what's going on in the environment around you. Um, such as, say you're out hunting and you notice there are deer cresting over the hill in front of you and coming down. Well, it could be likely that there are hunters on the other side of that hill or there's some kind of threat that have pushed the deer up over the hill. While you can't see them or hear them, being aware of just what's going on in the environment around you, similar to a spider's web where the spider will know 
based off of the vibrations in the web where each point was touched. Next, the final two are contact and information. Contact is all about having a network and the ability to send and receive information within that network. This is where stuff like your ham radios come in. It also covers the ability to make contact and be rescued if required in an emergency having pre-designated contact methods. So not just the radio, maybe, you know, you go straight back to native folklore and legends and go smoke signals and drums, whatever your group has worked out. Do you have designated writing methods and codes that you use? Um, computers and emails, if it's not a grid down scenario. Um, anything that you can just needs to be pre-established well-trained and rehearsed. Finally, information is number eight. Information is all the accumulated data and instructions that you can find. This is what you'd like to have on hand, but isn't necessary for you to survive. PDFs, books, maps, how-to guides, anything that if you have a situation for any length of time you're able to look up and research what you need on the go when you don't necessarily have the outside resources like this podcast to help putting all of those together these basic eight principles you can start setting up any kind of bags that you require any kind of plans with your mags by doing a section for each one of these topics. Determine your clothing and such for your body temperature. What do you have in a bag that's specific towards water filtration or storing water for your water replenishment? For rest, you need to look into how much you're sleeping in just your everyday, you know, as you go around and determine how you can adjust your schedule so that you're not walking around already too tired before something happens. Look into how much your calorie intake is on a regular basis. Are you already border or at a level of borderline starvation just from what you eat, you intake enough calories as you go every single day. And how can you adjust that to help regulate how much you have stored within your body energy wise compared to what you're using? Set up training for first aid ahead of time and make sure that your kits match the level of training that you are able to provide. Also make sure that anybody who you are regularly with receives the same training and equipment. That way you're not the only one who's reliable when it comes to assisting with this. Determine what you're going to do to make yourself secure ahead of time. Learn how to do things like tracking animal signing game. 
learn about the concentric rings. One of the techniques that was actually used to teach um, this by natives and in ways away was going into the woods without having a time limit or a destination in mind. As soon as you have a time limit or a destination in mind, you stop paying attention to what's going on around you. You're just looking at where you have to be when. If you go into the woods without a time limit or a destination, you'll start to pick out all of the different things going on around you because there's nothing else to notice. There's nothing else to think about. You just let it be. Sit down, relax, take a nap if you have to, and just pay attention to what's going on around you. And then you take that information and you start evolving it into how does that help you to be more aware in an emergency situation? What are the things that you start to notice that you may not have known before? All of this information adds up and helps to keep you safe. And then for mobility, start planning how you stay mobile in an emergency, whether that be a vehicle setup or bug out plans or, you know, extraction routes if you're doing military operations. All of these little things that if something happens, you can get away from the danger rather than having to face it. For contact, work out all of your different methods ahead of time. Write them down. Pre-program radios. Set up a network of the people who you usually contact. Take information from or contact information about relatives who are not in your immediate area and make sure that it's in a, lo a location that you can access it in an emergency. You may not have to leave and head off into the woods when you can just call, you know, a friend or a mag member or a relative the next province over and go, hey, I'm coming to stay with you for a little bit until I can get back on my feet. Most times that'll be the better scenario. Also, make sure that you have copies of all important documentation with you. So that way, in that level of emergency, you don't have to go searching, you know, through a burnt out house to see if your passport survived. That also goes into the information. All of these books and PDFs and everything that you have accumulated or your maps or how-to guides make sure that you have a spare copy of ID, passports, insurance information. Um, try keeping some of it onto a secure drive or a USB. Keep it on or keep it in a backpack with you. That way, if you can't go back to your house to get anything, all it requires is you plugging it into a computer and pulling up your information you have copies of it all. Even if it's just a photograph, it'll be enough to assist you with getting your documents replaced. Once you set up those full eight, you make a section in your bag for all of them, you'll find that your level of preparedness has drastically increased and you haven't really done a lot more than just thinking ahead of time about each of the eight topics. 
Well, that's a that's a fantastic list, Arius. And thanks uh, for taking the time to share it with us. Um, it, it really gives people a, a starting point and a method to actually help organize themselves. Because I know a lot of people jumping into uh, the preparedness world, or people that have been in it for a long time too, don't always necessarily have that. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. They kind of focus on one thing and get that tunnel vision, and that's the one thing they focus on, and that's all they kind of worry about. So. Having this this decisive list of, of the eight topics here that we that you discussed um, really gives people a really broad overview of all the different areas they should be hitting and and in what order and I, I think it's a great list to kind of base your your, pre, your preps around. It's absolutely a great start. I, I, I agree. I uh, and I, I'm not going to throw shade on this. It's it's a great list. I I would kind of think at least in my my mind, number seven should be a little bit further up the list. Um, I'm always big on situational awareness. And I mean, yeah, it's great to, to have food and have all that. But if there's roving packs and they show up and steal it all, it's not going to do you any good. Um, and, and also, I mean, like you say, they're, a relative may not be in the same position you're in, but if they're way down the list to make contact with them and say, Hey, just an FYI, this has happened or that's happened. If I don't reach out to you, this is what's going on. If you don't get to that or, or be able to get down to that, nobody else in the outside world is going to know what's going on. So that's just my opinion. I, I mean, everybody has their, their own way of doing things. And I mean, outside of that, I mean, I think the list is fabulous. There's a ton of information in there. For, for people to get uh, to get started to get ideas and and as they do it they may they may like I do they, they may say you know what I'm going to adjust my list a little bit and I'm going to move this one up here and I'm going to move that one down there I don't really think there's a perfect way to do it um, it's what's going to suit you the best exactly and just going off what you said um, it makes perfect sense that depending on the situation that you're in, rework it to suit your needs the best if you're at a position where you can contact a relative generally you're not as worried about are you going to be starving in the next you know day or you you're not at the position where you're running low on all of your stuff because if you're in a survival scenario and you're running low on everything if you can reach out to a relative that would solve that, it would actually already take care of the prior numbers in your list. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and with everything in the preparedness world, what works for one person might not necessarily work for the other. And, and don't be afraid to, to change things around here and there to, to fit what you think you need to do. Because uh, we can't sit here and, and tell you this is how you have to do it. We don't know what your exact situation is or what your, your exact scenario is or, or what it is that your uh, your preparedness plan is preparing you for. So yeah, don't look at the list as something that has to be followed and it's, it's written in stone and it can't be changed around. It absolutely can. Uh, but it's a great list to kind of get you started, get you focused and get you organized which which is a key thing in order to make sure everything is ready to go just in case and this is kind of a despite the fact that it's been an hour and 
four minutes so far. Um, this is still a pretty high level introduction to this. Um, we can dig a whole lot deeper onto this with Darius, with all the panelists and with every other member of the community that is involved on our Discord channel. Um, so check that out. Uh, the link's in the show notes. The link is up in the live chat. Um, hit us up with an email if you want if you want access to it, uh, whatever it is. But there's there's a lot more to learn, right? There's always more to learn. And um, I know like we've taught when we were talking about this as a subject in the Discord, um, Darius had significantly more information that we had to pare down in order to fit it into one episode. Yeah, there's been a good, a lot of good uh, talk about uh, about this in the Discord group, and a, and a whole bunch of other things as well. So I just put the link in the live uh, the live chat there if anybody's interested or hasn't joined it yet. But uh, yeah, we can definitely dive down a whole lot of rabbit holes here with uh, with the topic uh, that we discussed tonight. Uh, but uh, like Alan said, we've just kind of done a, a brief overview of it to to get your mind thinking and give you kind of a an outline or somewhere to start. That's uh, that's usually a good uh, a good question or pretty popular question that always comes up is where do I start and how can I make sure that I have everything I need and these eight steps because completely outline pretty much you know with, with a couple of changes here and there depending on your situation what you're going to need. Well, and and I think the eight are required no matter what, but they're going to be easier to fill for some than others, right? If you have family nearby, um, that's going to tick off that box really quickly compared to somebody who has. Um, you know, miles and miles to travel. Same thing if you've got, you know, a well in your basement for some reason, um, that's going to make your your water a whole lot easier as long as you're home. Um, it's going to make your water a whole lot easier than somebody who has to maybe travel several miles to a natural source, get, you know, travel, bring water back, and then purify it for drinking. Um, so everybody's going to have their own priority levels. Everybody's going to have their own ways of going about it. But these eight are the are I, I think Darius got it right. That's the basics of every preparedness plan overall. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, anybody else on the panel have anything else they'd like to add? Uh, no, the only the only thing that I wanted to mention that uh, I'm glad Darius touched on it. It seems something that I've noticed a lot of, not a lot, but some of the, the plans people have and, and whatever is, they don't look at the shelter side of it. Um, you know, I know he mentioned the threes. Um, he said three minutes for the, I, I've, I've always been taught uh, three hours without shelter. You can, you, you can be good for three hours without shelter. So in a case where you've got to hike out on foot and wherever you're going is six hours away, um, you should expect that somewhere in that, that travel, you're, you're going to need to find shelter for, you know, either to get out of the sun, get out of the rain, get out of the snow, warm yourself up, um, you know, whatever. But you, you can't just be out in the middle of nowhere for all of those hours and expect that you're going to be fine. Um, and, and I find that 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 is something that is is lacking. And I'm really glad Darius uh, brought that up because that that's a that's a big point for me. I'll yeah, agree so with that. you on that, Jeff. And, and that priority level changes really drastically too, depending on your environment. Um, if you check out uh, Dr. Giesbrick the, at Coldwater Boot Camp, he goes through the the one ten one principle. Right, if you go into cold water, you get ten minutes of meaningful movement before hypothermia sets in. 
and then an hour before it kills you. So if you're wet and cold, and uh, the colder you are and the wetter you are, the faster the, those three hours creep up on you, right? The faster the need for that shelter creeps up on you. So um, even within even within your region, your particular situation is going to be dependent on where you are and what you're doing, how high a priority one of those things takes over another. And that's, that's kind of um, leads back to a podcast we had a while ago where when we, we talked about that and the bug in, bug out scenario and saying if you're bugging out, know where you're going. Have already scouted it to know from point A to point B and, and where you're going to go. Does it bring you, you know, it's great to check it out in the middle of August when it's dry, but if you got a bug out in the middle of September after it's rained for four days, are you all of a sudden trudging through two feet of water? So, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those things. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, it all comes down to planning, right? And that's where these eight steps just fill everything in very nicely. Right, shall we move into the podcast challenge? Your challenge for this week, give some thought to expanding your basic levels of preparedness. Try and cover a little of each of the eight points as they apply to your situation. You can tell us how tell us what you've done in as much de- as much or as little detail as you like. Feedback at prepperpodcast.ca or join us on the Discord group, the Discord server. Uh, we have a specific group in there for the podcast challenge. We'd love to hear sure from do. you. All right, and for upcoming events, uh, Ragnarok Tactical is hosting their map reading and land navigation course uh, again. Uh, it's held in the Mississauga, Ontario area, and it's running uh, December 4th and 5th. Uh, check out ragnaroktactical.ca, and then in the top menu there, there's a link for upcoming courses, and then you can register there. So uh, check that out if, uh, if you've got some time over those couple of days. It's a good course. So let's move into some shout outs. Sorry, before we move up past the, past the upcoming events, um, I forgot to put it in the notes. Um, if, uh, as we talked about medical training, if you are interested in upgrading your training a little bit, um, we're running a Red Cross uh, emergency medical responder program, uh, hopefully January, February uh, in the London area. Uh, if you're in southwestern Ontario or you want to visit, um, drop me a line and we will get you registered. Awesome. Now we can move in the shout outs. Uh, so my buddy Martin, um, he's a he's a jujitsu guy. Uh, kicked some serious ass in uh, Las Vegas last night. Brought home a gold medal. Um, so I can now say that I train with a world champion, and that's pretty damn cool. I uh, can't wait for you to get back and hear all about it, Marty. Have a great one. Awesome. And uh, just quick shout out to Darius. Thank you so much for taking uh, you know an hour and change out of your time tonight to uh, to talk about these eight steps. Is, uh, I know it's going to be a huge benefit to everybody that uh, takes them on and starts to organize the preparedness. So thanks for coming out tonight, and thanks for chirping us in the live chat for the, the last while. <laughs> yeah, no problem, Absolutely love every single message. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I wanted to uh, as well thank Darius for coming out, and I'll give a shout-out to my buddy Devin at uh, Sugarbush Tree Service for providing me my uh, firewood. Awesome. Well, with that, I will bring uh, episode number 137 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, Please submit a review. It uh, does help people find us. 
And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. It gives you an alert when we're going live. Give us a like on Facebook. Same deal. Those notifications will let you know when we're going live. If you want to get me directly, I'm at alan at prepperpodcast.ca or in the Discord server as Safety Nerd. And you forgot that's Alan with one L. You know, just if they don't know by it. now, they don't know. There's nothing I'm going to say is going to change that. Come on, it's just like the carbon monoxide. You got to tell them every week, you know. <laughs> All right, Jeff, and where can everybody get you? if anybody wants to reach me, you can just get me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And then if I feel like it, I'll forward it to Jeff. <laughs> I can be reached at uh, monkman038 at gmail.com. And if anybody needs to reach me, um, just hop on over to the uh, Prepper Podcast Discord channel, and I'm there pretty much night and day every day. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) There's times I've woken up really early, and I've noticed that you've put lots of comments in while I was sleeping, wondering, when the heck do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) It's in his list there. Uh, Okay. All right, so you can uh, check out rapidsurvival.com and get me there in the live chat. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening, and until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Mm-hmm.